Welcome to the Velo Chumps Podcast. We are back. Well, some of us anyway. Chad Locker, you're with us tonight. How are you doing today? I'm doing great because for some reason, February is now summer in Ohio. I was unaware of it. We've moved to the Southern Hemisphere, so the weather out here is great. I was wearing summer kit today. Fantastic. I love it. I'm in a good mood. I was too. That was awesome today. My ride today was fantastic. It, I was also in summer kit, although I don't know how it's going to be in Canton, Ohio, but in New Lenox, Illinois, it's going to be 19 degrees tomorrow. So it was a short-lived summer season here. I, I think it goes back up like in a day, though, to like mid-spring. So I, what I've determined <laughs> is we're all just going to get the flu from these radical temperature changes. But yeah, I've ridden up sounds about this right. year, so I'm okay with it. Cool. Right. And Ryan Brainer, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Happy to be here. Um, I feel like it's been a few weeks for me, so thanks for holding down the fort. Yeah. Did you buy a bike? Yeah, we had. Uh... Did you buy a bike yet? Did you get one? Did you buy one? Did you order one? We can all hear about it. No. 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 Didn't think. Never so. mind. Okay. Moving on. So uh, we were going to have Randy Nicewanger on the show tonight. We had a special segment planned for him, but he's a late scratch. Can't make it to the start line. Can't sign on. Health issues. Nothing serious. I hope. But anyway. He will hopefully be joining us for that segment in a future episode. So you'll just have to, you know, hold tight and you can hear about our cool future segment we're going to have with Randy Nicewanger. And Mike Green is not with us tonight. He's actually hanging out in the home of mountain biking, Marin County. Not mountain biking, sadly. I believe he um, is only there for work purposes and don't think he's going to get a chance to mountain bike. But he's not with us. So you just got the three of us. And yet he mocks my my Richie breakaway. Like, yeah, this is like he could yeah. own a Richie breakaway, and he could yeah. he could take it with with him on work trips to Marin County, even a gravel bike if he wanted. This is sad. Yeah, it is. I agree. I also kind of I, I also kind of want to know Niswanger, Nicewanger. We've known Randy for five years. How do we say his last name? Nicewanger. Nicewanger. Okay, I just wanted to clarify. Right, because we've talked about that in the beginning. He's the nicest. Of the Velo Chumps. Okay. So he's, we know. That's how you can remember. That's how you can remember how to pronounce his name. Nice Wonger, okay. nicest Velo Chumps. Fantastic. So, so this is what I want to start off the show with. You're right, Ryan. It's been a little bit since we've had a normal show. We had uh, Kaya Schmidt on our previous episode. We talked to her. But when we talk about our, our normal show, this is the first one we've had since the road racing season started. So, Last weekend, Saturday, I don't even know how to say this, the name of this race, Omloop Het Nuisblad, something of that nature. But that is the de facto opening day of road racing. So we're in the season. So, you know, everything that happened before that, if this was a U.S. ball sport, uh, that would be considered preseason. Right, guys? I mean, that that's just sort of like, you know, just the warm up. The guys are trying to get ready to peak for the spring classics. But Omloop, that is the opening day and we woke up to some really good racing in both the men's and women's omelet hip blood and we'll talk a little bit about the racing that's not really our thing at the velo chumps there's much better racing analysts but we were all chatting on in our internal velo chumps chat about the race and you know we'll get back to the men's race later but we watched the men's race it was exciting it was great to have racing back on the television if you had flow bikes and we were, um, you know, we're listening. We had Rob Hatch, you know, commentating. It was exciting. And then the race ended. And then, you know, we got to see a little bit of the post, post-race stuff. And then the women's stream started and we turned it on. And Chad, tell us what we got 
when we turned on the women's stream. I do not know to what you are referring. It was one, two, three seconds, and the feed started. That it was phenomenal. It was amazing. You could watch the women racing on the bicycles up the road. Look, looking forward. It was exciting. It was so exciting. It was the best thing ever. I don't know why you did not like it. <laughs> I have no. So, I have no idea who was commentating that race. I mean. No, he was not. He was not in bicycling. He was like the world's <laughs> best soccer commentator, but he did not know a dang thing about bike racing. So he would get excited at a water bottle exchange. Like he was missing the point. I felt bad. So I can only assume that Rob got the stomach flu between the men's race and the women's race. <laughs> I don't know. He was man, unable to commentate, but it it was a it was a bad feed. It. I mean, I, I assume he was the poor producer of the thing. That, that That's what it seemed like. It seemed like he was the producer. And maybe if you spoke Flemish or French or you had another European language, you got a better commentator. But maybe he was the only person they had for the female race that could speak English. And so, unfortunately, we got stuck with him. And yeah. I don't know who his name was. And I'm, I'm sorry. Thank you for at least commentating and giving us English. But I was kind of begging at some point, could we just get the French feed? Because I think I could figure out what's <laughs> yeah. going on. Um, it, I don't know. It was, it was just bad. It was really bad for what clearly was a fantastic race. I mean, oh, if, unbelievably great if, race. If you were at all into women's racing, it was an all-star front row. That's who was in contention in groups one and, and the chasing uh, Gruppetto. It was amazing. If you know anything about women's racing, I mean, Voss the boss won. It was awesome. Um, and you didn't even know that that was going to happen until the end. So kudos to her, especially since she came off major surgery last year. But mm -hmm. Please, Flow Bikes, please get better well, English commentators for the next round or else I really want my 30 I, bucks back, you know? I do want to clarify that that was not Flow Bikes. I'm pretty sure that was not Flow's commentator, that they were getting the feed from Eurosport and... Then give us a different pretty, give us a different Eurosport yeah, commentator, please. Yeah. I, I fully agree. I, now I will say, I will say, for the first part of the race, when we were looking at about you know maybe fifty to ten kilometers out, we were just going back and forth. What is going on? Who is this person? What is this person saying? We didn't understand how this occurred, and like you said, it was very, it was almost tragic that this was the level of production we got for such a good race on the women's side. I will say the last 10 kilometers, especially the last five kilometers, he did get a little bit better. He did bring a little bit of, you know, he, he upped the, the dial slightly, did he, slightly. Did he get better? Or by this point, had we suffered for <laughs> so long, it had just become a music? Yeah, it could be that too. It could be that. I was going to say, he did seem to come into his own a little bit. Um, it still wasn't great, but I'm glad there was coverage. And... Um, it's just, if you're not watching women's racing, you need to watch women's racing. It was just an amazing race. And I, we were kind of all under the assumption that he was just kind of like standing in for a few minutes until Rob had yes. like grab some That's food what I or thought too. go to the bathroom or something. And then, nope. It, nope. He was, Took us all the way to the end, <laughs> sadly. But there's this new Dutch rider. Her name is Kappa Key. This is who we all need to follow this year. Because her name is Kappa Key. Kappa Key. Kappa Key was said a million times by this commentator. Fantastic. If you don't know who she is, clearly look her up. You got to follow her because she's she's clearly in the mix with Voss the Boss. It was awesome. uh, Clearly. I mean, she is actually Belgian and she is wearing the rainbow jersey. So she's fairly notable 
on the women's side. I think you should probably know who she is, <laughs> but but you know, whatever. I mean, she did come in second. I, it was an exciting yeah. race, absolutely exciting race. I think this guy was an amazing producer. I think he knows women's racing. I think he knows how to run a broadcast. But I just there's a reason why the on-air talent that is the voice is somebody different. I am not that talent. I'm never going to be that mm-hmm. talent. Matter of fact, 10 people have already turned off this podcast by this point, but we digress. <laughs> 10 is a bit bit much, Chad. Okay. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Maybe four no. turned it off. Maybe. But I will, I mean, I don't know anything about video work, but like, can we get the guy a gimbal? Like, I'll pay for it. Because I was nauseous after watching like five kilometers and I had to like keep looking away from the screen. Like I will, I will crowdfund he, you. He was not on the bike. He was in a studio. So it wasn't that like, let's not, let's make sure we're not. He, no, no, I'm just saying whoever was on the back of the moto, like I feel like the men's race had steady footage, but the women's race was bouncing all over the place. And I would like, it was hard to watch. I, I don't know. It is, it is the cobbled classics. I'll, I'll write it. I'll let that go. I will give that a pass. Mm-hmm. I will be in defense that the couple classics, I don't think they had fundamentally that much different equipment given the, the breaks between the races. So I'm assuming whoever filmed the men's probably did part of the women's race thereafter. So I don't think it was different equipment in that regard. Cause that, that'd be kind of pricey, but maybe it was, I don't know. I'm not into production studios. So They're just, yeah, I don't know either, but... Here, but at the end of the day, I'm just glad there was coverage and mm-hmm. it was great. It was a great race. Now, I, I also quickly want to come back to the end of the men's race because the coverage, although it, we were watching it on Flow, it, it's not um, it's not Flow. They're just getting the Eurosport production stream, whatever. Um, and although this could be Flow, I don't know that. I don't know exactly what happened. But if you remember at the end of the men's race, we're going in. Literally, we're in the last kilometer. I'm telling you what, it was maybe like... It's like... Between 500 and 200 meters to go, like four, the feed cut out. 400 meters to go, <laughs> the final sprint, and then you get the white screen up. Yeah. Stand by, we're having technical difficulties. And I just thought, oh, this is too good. Like, this, <laughs> this is going to break the cycling internet if there is such a thing. And, oh. and, but, but if you go back to what I said at the beginning of the show, this, this is how messed up cycling is. This is how bad it is. And it's just... It's sad. I mean, it's 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 just like, how, how did we get to this point? I to- just told you this is like opening day. And unlike ball sports where. So if I relate this to the NFL, you know how in the NFL there's only one game on the Thursday night. It's the opening game of the NFL season. And it's that one game. So you got to understand in cycling, there's not these individual games, right? It's all the teams are in the same race. So this is the first race this is the opening race. All eyes on the race. Everybody's been waiting all year for the opening day of cycling and the men's race went first. So this is the first race, like real race, right? What I'll call real, not preseason. It's the first real race of the season. We get down to the final kilometer. We're under the Flamme Rouge. We're watching it go down and the feed cuts out. That would be like in the first NFL game of the season. Everybody's excited to get football back. We're going down. It's literally a tie game and a wide receiver breaks out of a tackle and potentially has to run 50 yards to get to the end zone. And it's unclear if the safety is going to catch him or not. And the feed goes black. That's literally what happened here. 
thankfully it came back on in time for us to see who won but what a cluster i mean how are we in the situation where the highest levels of professional racing have such terrible production i i don't i don't know because i think it was it the um i think it's the flander whoever owns the rights to the flanders classic this is Flanders Classics, this race. Right, yeah. that's who, that's, that is who the broadcast group was. And they, you know, for, for those that are unaware, they own a good chunk of the Spring Classics races, which many would argue that the pinnacle could be Flanders, but mm-hmm. but, but it's there. Um, so they, they get at least 15, maybe a dozen races, if you count some of the smaller um, races that lead up to it. But so there is, they do this every year. So they've, they've got a yeah. season, it's, they, they've got a small window. They don't even have to run this all year so i am i guess i'm a little shocked but right but that that's my point this is not like it's some you know minor league third rate production this is literally flanders classics which is one of the big organization groups i mean this is top notch top of the upper echelon you know top shelf production that we should have we should be having that but my point is when you're looking at the upper echelon production of professional cycling this is what you get I don't understand how we're going to continue to make the sport grow and continue to get, you know, improve the the viewing experience and gain more fans and all of these things. Like we, we talked about this last year, we were hoping with the Netflix series with unchained, you know, we were going to get all these new fans in and hopefully that would spark something similar to F1. And how are we going to do that when the feed cuts out in the last, you know, as if the game was ending, the feed cuts out, and then we get your buddy, the production guy, commentating the uh, the women's race. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just subpar. Chad, could I have mean, done. what Chad, is going on here? Yeah, Chad could have done a better job. Um, I don't. But, I'm not going to say that. I'm really, I'm not going to say that. But there, I think you. Could but have. there would yeah. be a lot of people who are going to do better than me for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, I think the the answer is obvious, Eric. It's it's Red Bull. Red Bull's gonna fix all of our our problems. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's that's not a terrible uh, prognostication there. That could actually make something happen. But it's sad, you know. It's like, you know, the NBA doesn't need a Red Bull to save them, right? The English Premier League doesn't need something like Red Bull to save them. I mean. Cycling is literally running at the like you you guys will appreciate this. I don't know how much of the audience will. Cycling is running at a similar level as the um Joliet Slammers, you know, versus the the MLB. And for those of you that don't know, Joliet Slammers, one of my favorite, absolute favorite minor league baseball team names, the Joliet Slammers, named after the jail. In Juliet, which incidentally is where the Blues Brothers got out of in the beginning of their that movie. But anyway, they're what double A, single A. I mean, that's really what we're talking about. I I think I don't know. I really like. I think the Trash Pandas is a better minor league baseball team name. <laughs> and I, well, I didn't say it's the best, but it's one of my. Favorites. And I'm also it's a great. I'm also great name. Pretty partial to the Akron Rubber Ducks because they're in the motor rubber duck, you know, tire capital. Fantastic. So that's a pretty good name too. But the Slammers is. Minor league baseball is where it's at for names, but anyway, we digress. We have moved on. Um, yeah, I don't. I expect more for my thirty bucks a month. Let's put it that way. From flip like, um, <laughs> well, but again, we're talking about watching racing as a whole. If you subscribe to the NFL Sunday Ticket 
on it's on YouTube TV this year or nowadays. I think it's something like four hundred dollars for the season. Does any of you know? I don't have it. Does any of you? Well, do either of you know how much that is? Here. But my point is, my point is, if you subscribe to all of the streaming services you need to watch races, it's probably more if if you do it legally. It's more or the same than subscribing to the NFL Sunday Ticket. But you're getting minor league baseball level of production. Now that's the problem. Well, but in fairness, so football that is part of their kind of the bargaining units TV rights package is part of it, right? So, mm -hmm. so it's sort of like all the NFL teams now going in. They're part of this unified rights package that's on all the major networks. Was it NBC, ABC, ESPN, and Fox? Right? They're all unified. Mm -hmm. They all share rights. That's part of the profit sharing. Cycling isn't there, right? We haven't unified all of the big races in cycling under one cash cow umbrella for tv rights so that's missing f1 has it cycling doesn't football has it cycling doesn't so you've got that going against you and for the most part all of the streaming services that you get right now for cycling that's it's a it's a tag on to some other service you're actually mm -hmm. paying for every month so yes your fee is more but probably to watch cycling we're not pumping nearly the 400 dollars a month or per year per person into it right because unfortunately to pay for it on peacock i'm also paying for who wants to see a bachelor or whatever else dumb things on NBC that I'm not aware of. <laughs> and I don't watch anything else on flow bikes, which I'm sure it's flow sports. So there's probably other stuff to watch. And then I don't know what's going on with max. I don't watch anything on HBO and I haven't paid for my subscription yet, but I'll, I'll get there. Um, so we're probably, I'm certainly in the minority for that, but I don't know, maybe this deal with what the people who own live golf for trying to supposedly unify cycling under an umbrella. I don't know. Is that going to be the fix? But it's certainly well, with unification of TV rights is just not happening, right? I think we unfortunately. Oh, go ahead. I was just. Do we? Silly question, but is it fair to assume that that cut in the feed happened for everyone, or is that just an American problem? It, I, it, I don't know. That was but... a cut from, if I recall, it was flow. It was the flow bikes banner. So if you notice when it went to that technical screen, so when you log for anyone who's unaware, when you log into a race on flow bikes or flow sports before the race starts, you get like a technical banner and then ads run and then the technical banner and then the race will feed will kick in. That banner was the same white like prop screen or standby screen you get before the broadcast starts on flow bike. So my assumption is that was not a cutout from Lander um, sports network. That was a cutout from flow. So sorry, flow. Yeah. Like that was on you. It, it could be, I can't, I, I'm not going to say that that's hundred percent true, but it's very well could be. But either way, either way, many people are watching this on flow. It's not like really? just, just, just hey, us are we exaggerating that? I mean, many people, it's <laughs> like, are, are we really talking about the 300 and some people in the United States hey, watched what het news blog that weekend? Let me I sell think, you something. I think we are, I think we are giving cyclists in America too much credit. <laughs> Chad. Let me say this. There was more people watching that bike that bike race on flow bikes than there are listening to this podcast right now. That's, so that's, let's just say that. That's let's absolutely that. true. But I'm also going to bet <laughs> I am friends with 17% of all people who watch News Blog. I'll make that statement. <laughs> I don't know. That's that's pretty aggressive. Could be true. I mean, I, but that's pretty 17%. I think, 17 I, think I know a good portion of the Chicago area. I know a good portion of the Northeast Ohio area. <laughs> so I think we're. I'll go. Oh man! Oh, anyway, we should we should probably move on from this. I think I think I agree with I agree with Ryan. We have beat this one to death. Move on to the next <laughs> topic, guys. All right, all right, all right. So 
Now we're all we talked about this a few episodes ago. We're in season two, okay? But I want to bring this back and tell all of you listeners out there that stuck with us all through season one and stuck with us through season two. I want to talk about the genesis of the Velo Chumps podcast because that's going to lead us into our next topic. Okay. So we have for longer, much longer than the Velo Chumps podcast has been a thing. We had an internal group chat. And at some point, Mike Green, I'm going to give Mike Green the credit. He named it the Velo Chumps. So the Velo Chumps group chat has pre- preceded the Velo Chumps podcast by quite, quite some time. And I don't know if you guys remember this. I went to um, Kentucky for that uh, bourbon burn. So it was that uh, cool bike uh, bike ride. It's, it's like multiple Grand Fondos and multiple days where you get to visit distilleries. So I drove to, basically, I drove to Lexington. So that's maybe like six, seven hours from here. And then I did, it's three days event, and then I drove back. And during that time driving, I listened to a lot of bike podcasts, a lot. And on my way back, it struck me. I said, you know what? On our Velo Chumps group chat, we're constantly arguing about stuff, constantly arguing about stuff. And I said... And just something to know, typically, typically, it's Chad versus the rest of us. That's how it goes down. Chad is arguing a point, and the rest of us are arguing with him. And I'm a, I'm going to go out and say, to be honest, like 70% of the time, Chad's the one that's right versus the other four of us. But in any case, I said, I sent a text, and I or I sent a message to the Bell Chumps group chat, and I said, we should make a podcast about all of our arguments. That would be better than half of the stuff I just listened to. And everyone laughed about it. And then it was a running joke for several, probably months. It was a running joke until we said, you know what? We're actually going to do this. And lo and behold, we're in season two. But if you have noticed, we haven't really argued a lot on this podcast, huh? Guys, you think we haven't argued a lot. We argue a lot more still in the Velo Chumps chat than we do on the podcast. Yeah, that's true. But a lot a lot <laughs> of what we argue, I think if the text were published, many of many of us probably would not be allowed in normal society. I, I think it's I think it's safe that what's in the chat stays often in the chat. Right. Okay. That's fair enough. That's okay. fair enough. You're I can't hear you. Can you hear Ryan? I can't well, hear anything he, you said. He muted himself Sorry. there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, well, he's still yeah. muted. That, I yeah. felt like I was in a work meeting for a second. I might even leave that in instead of editing it because I totally <laughs> felt like I was in a work meeting. That happens so like, right? Like, like every day time. it happens. Someone's muted, right? I was just going to say, usually we get out the really good stuff in the group chat. So then by the time we get here, we're like, so are we going to talk about the thing we talked about earlier? And yeah, everyone's yeah, and kind of fizzled like, out, right? Yeah. And it's. It's sad. If only, so, if only we could quit our day jobs to just podcast <laughs> randomly. All, all day. All day. day. Great, there'd, yeah. be, there'd be content. There would be great content, right? Mm. That's to, That sounds, sounds like more fun than my day job, to be honest. Just talking bikes all day. All right. I, so, I don't know if it's lucrative, but it's fun. Sounds fun. So, but, so did we? Did you finish the Genesis thought? Because I'm still That on was the whole point, is that okay. we were supposed... The, the, the original idea of this podcast was just us arguing with Chad. Which hasn't hasn't come to pass. So we're going to try it this time because we had a little bit of an argument. And then Chad suggested we should have this argument on the air and see how it goes. So listeners out there, you can tell us if you like the argumentation segment, if you like the us going back and forth and arguing about stuff. But here's the thing. This particular one, I don't know if this is why the one Chad, why you, Chad, think that this should be the one that we bring to the podcast. This particular one 
everybody else was on Chad's side except for me. So somehow I was the one that was having the contrary opinion to everyone else. So we're going to try to roll this out. And I guess I will argue with you two about this topic and we'll see how it goes. And hopefully, hopefully it gets a little bit. Don't hold back. Yell at me. Hopefully it gets spicy. It'll be fun, right? I'm nervous. So, so chat. I mean, you, you, you can't get excited, Ryan. That's not your. That's not your mo. You, you're always just the same level. You know, I, I, you know, even if you yell, you're just like, yeah, but Eric, that's that's not right. That's like your your level of yelling. So whatever. We, I know we're not going to get the excitement out of you, but Chad, you could you could bring the heat, right? So anyway, when when Chad brought it up, so I'm gonna let you bring up the original topic. You were the one that brought it up in the chat. Okay, so I if this correct me if this is the topic. I, I think the topic and where I had had gone was for some time. I think there's going to be a shift in the bike industry for road bike, mm-hmm. the general road bike. And I think if you want to see where it's going to go, you have to look towards what I would consider the much more nimble market space right now, and that's custom frame builders. And if you look at kind of what's the hot thing they're all doing right now, I mean besides integrated headsets, that's just a uh, whatever the the modern fad is. Really what they're offering right now is like an all road or a fat road tired bike, meaning kind of a bike that fits a 35C tire, but it's not a gravel bike, right? It's really kind of like a road bike that can fit, let's say the smaller end of the gravel bike tire, kind of like the quiver killer bike. And Mm -hmm. I, I believe they're at the forefront. So, and why I think this is custom frame builders were the first that were into kind of the whole gravel bike scene or building you a, a cyclocross bike that was tailored for gravel and so I think this all road is the next level. And I think some of the major OEs have dabbled with it. Like the Demane has kind of moved into that space over time. You've seen other brand, other, you know, what is it? What's Demane's Cannondale or specialized version? They've all kind of like moved to a fat tire, but they've sort of, in my opinion, have <clears throat> kept the geo or sort of kept the marketing for those bikes intentionally in the endurance bike space. Which might, mm-hmm. which might be for the more casual rider, you know, I only go out on Saturday type deal. I don't maybe have the fitness to ride in a dedicated racing geometry stack and fit reach for a bike. But if you look at these custom frame builders, a lot of them are offering that, right? It's sort of like I've got my tarmac fit, but I've got 35C tires in it. And, our, and my argument was this is where the space is going to go. And when the mainstream brands catch on to it, they'll be able to finally shape the tubing to kind of have aero properties. But right now, right, if you're building a bike out of tie or steel or whatever, if you're a custom frame builder, basically you're kind of just doing the fit. It's whatever fork is kind of available for you at this point, unless you're going to build it. But I think this is where the industry is going to go. So my argument has been five years down the road from now, none of us are really going to be buying the F1 of bikes, right? Which would be the current Tarmac SLA S works or whatever it is, or Trex Madone, I think those bikes are going to exist. I think there's always going to be a niche buying them. But I think where you're going to see the folks like us, the Velo Chumps moving, is going to be the all-road bike. It's going to be, this is mm-hmm. this is my bike that I ride on the group ride. It's aero-shaped. It goes fast. But then when I want to do kind of a Belgian waffle gravel ride, I could, right? Because mm-hmm. all this cash in this bike, how many sets of group sets do I want to have um, on my $8,000 bike or whatever you're going to spend for a bike um, if you're in that kind of a price range? So mm-hmm. I think that's where we're going. And then if you look at where the custom bike prices are, you know, 12 grand gets you a Moots or whatever it is with electronic shifting. And to be honest, that's an S-Works SLA. So my argument would be, why would I buy an S-Works SLA when I could go get tailored geometry to my fit 
on a bike that I can run two wheel sets or two tire sets for, right? And go do all this on. And the only thing really kind of missing at this point is the aero shaping and, you know, moots and whoever really aren't going to have wind tunnel time for this right now, right? But I think if they want to, I think moots could with 3D printing, maybe they're going to go down that path and have an aero shaped tie. But honestly, I think carbon's probably the better way to go with that. I think you've got better uh, modulus, better characteristics of the frame that you could design all this around. So I think that's where it's going to go. And I think the days of us all going and buying the latest Madone because it's fully aero integrated cockpit with 60 millimeter deep rims is going to come to an end. Or maybe we'll have that set of rims, but we only run it on the Tuesday night roadie group ride. The rest of the time we're going to be on 30 millimeter or less deep gravel wheels on our super all road bikes. I, I think that's where we're going. So let me just point something out. First of all, what you said in the very beginning is that the custom builders are making these bikes. So I just want to point out. Yeah that even under your own emission, these bikes exist. These, what you're calling a road, all road bike with up to 35 C, um, you know, clearance. So these bikes exist, right? Yes. The, the Genesis of what this bike is going to be exists in some form right now with the custom frame builders, right? Yeah. Right. So what you actually, I need, you know what? I need to like roll up to the scroll up (laughs) into the chat because I want to quote you on this. To make sure, because it wasn't you were just saying like, oh, this is what's going to happen in the future. Hold on just a second. One advantage I still I still see to custom is they offer a bike none of the main lines really cater to yet. And that being a fat tire roadie or all road bike, meaning road geo. Yeah. But 35 millimeter tires and fenders. Domani comes closest, but it drifts into relax versus race geo. That custom can and will offer. So what you're saying in there. Is that the mainline brands, because you specifically referenced the mainline brands, are not building a race geo bike, because you already said the Domani comes closest, but it's relaxed versus race. So you're saying the mainline brands don't offer a race geo bike that can handle 35 millimeter tires. That was your point. Yes. Not that that's where the future. I mean, you are also saying that's where the future of bikes, that's where things are going, but you were complaining that the mainline brands don't make a race geo bike that handles 35 C tires. Right. And my point was at some point, at some point, I understand this whole wider is better thing, but at some point when you start to make the tires wider and everybody should know this, although they don't, I know people don't know this because when people talk about tire clearance, they always look at the fork. They're like, oh, the fork is really wide. The fork is really wide. It must be able to clear a bunch of tires clearance. Actually, that's not where you run into the tire the tire clearance problem with road bikes anyway, with road geometry. When you make tires wider, you also make them taller. So meaning the diameter of the total wheel, including the rim and tire, is actually longer. Meaning the tire and wheels, you know, the tire plus rim is bigger when you have a wider quote unquote we always say the word wider but it also means taller and it means the diameter is larger correct right yeah what i'm saying is as wheels continue the diameter of a wheel continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger because the tires are wider and wider and wider you will eventually compromise the geometry of a road race geometry and you can at some point you can't have road race geometry and 
really, really, really wide tires slash wide slash tall tires. That was my point, And that's what we were arguing about. Well, I think as the SL8s and whatever the world moved to basically kind of in a plumped 28 or let's say a plumped 30, right? You're, let's call mm-hmm. 30, 28, 30, because I think my new courses or whatever it is I'm running right now are 28s, but they're basically 30 millimeters on the rim on my road bike rim brake today um, at this point. So if you would say a labeled 35C sidewall gravel tire, I don't think that's that radical of a difference that you couldn't, you know, find the middle ground between 70 and 74 millimeters bottom bracket drop. And if you're not following what I'm talking about here, that's fine. Just that's pedals off the ground. (laughs) I don't expect everyone to know this. And I don't think the stays need to get to a point, even if you drop them, the 430 like a cross bike i still think you can keep them pretty short i mean i think most road bikes today run a 410 stay but again that's a 410 stay at a 70 millimeter bottom bracket drop if you go down to 74 mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. and still get an effective 410 i still think there's some tweaking i think carbon probably allows even more um design freedom or design clearance around that tire mm-hmm. to do a tie so i think if if honestly someone like spec or trek wanted to offer a road bike that gave ASTM clearance, which I think is four millimeters per, mm-hmm. whatever it is, per tire, they could take a labeled 35C Panaracer Gravel King, put it on one of their fat 25 millimeter internal tubeless rims, design plenty of clearance. It would not be a compromised bike when it's running a 28C tire on the road. It would have the clearance for gravel and some minimal mud because there probably will be a little bit of a caveat here. But again, I'm not talking about a dedicated gravel bike like this market has moved to a 40 seat tire or 45 in some cases i'm talking about the bike that three quarters of the time you're on the roadie ride with your buddies but when you do the all-road adventure ride it's like oh, i'm gonna put my 35 c's on and, and go for it and do the occasional gravel ride okay. i'm not seeing that bike out there yet okay so what i'm saying is what we have in the road market is we have road race bikes okay yeah and we have endurance bikes. So all the brands, like you mentioned, you have the Madone and you have the Domani. Yeah. And the Amanda is also a race bike, right? And then you look at Specialized, you have the SL, I mean, the Tarmac and you have the Roubaix. And then you have whatever the giant one is, you know, you, you have all you know, the Canada. You have all of these bikes that have an endurance style, like you said, and a race style. And what I'm saying is what you're advocating for is almost like an in the middle. But what I'm saying is if you look at a, a Cervelo S5, you cannot put a 35C tire on that frame as it is today without doing something to change, to compromising something. You're either going to change the geometry a little bit or you're going to set compromise the aerodynamic properties of that bike. If you just physically look at a Cervelo S5, and which happened to be very successful this weekend as a winning type of bike in terms of who won all these races this weekend, it was very successful. So if you look at that bike, where are you going to just suddenly fit the 35 C tire into that frame without compromising something? So I'll, I'll give you that. I'll, I'll caveat that, but I think yes, mm-hmm. honestly, are you running even you as accomplished as you are of a physical specimen of an athlete on a bike? You're not Wout Van Aert. Right. And I honestly believe the aerodynamics of an S5 are probably set for a Wout Van Aert. And if you and if I were to tell you we were to compromise the S5 enough such that we could fit 35C tires, 
I think if Eric Polly were to put 28s back in it and go do the crit race on Tuesday night, Wout's S5 versus your compromised future, call it whatever you want, all road bike that you're crit racing, <laughs> there's not going to be a hill of beans difference. I don't think any of us are racing at the that cutting edge of an F1 bike, which is what I'll call mm-hmm. five in terms of, you know, if you want to reference it that way. So what I'm, I'm not saying, I, I definitely don't think the world tour is going to race a bike that's going to have the capability of fitting a 35C tire. But I think for the rest of us who pace line on Tuesday night at 25C or 25 miles an hour, and if your group ride goes to 30, kudos to you, but I'm getting dropped. Um, the, the rest of us probably aren't, aren't there. So if you need to run, you know, 30 miles an hour on your group ride, great. You're going to need the S5. But I think for the vast majority of us, even those of us that, I can't, I can't ride a Damani. A regular Damani is too relaxed for me to mm-hmm. run an absurd stem. And then you can argue, Chad, you can go by the Race Shop Limited. Well, that's great, but the Race Shop Limited isn't the same frame. Like, I think it barely mm-hmm. it's a 35. Yep. So while I get the racy geo, I don't get the tire clearance. I really want to... Exactly, like, because you can't you can't have both. You can't. That's my <clears> whole point. You can't have both. No, my point so. is they, did, they intentionally did not design the rsl for us again it's at the f1 level right they, they took out the it doesn't have the little bottle boxes to hold your tie uh-huh. hold spare inner tubes or anything like that anymore um but they didn't change its geo all that much from the regular demani all they did was lower the stack and reach and decide to compromise the tire clearance so they could make it stiffer and take out the storage box mm-hmm. right the, you know, I, I, Ryan's been dying to get right. get a point right. in here, so let's do it. Okay. Go on, Ryan. So I'll I'll maintain my same boring self, but see, I know. I know. No, I, two things. I think you're both right. So you're always gonna have no, 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 no. And I have a few things I want to say. So bear with me. But Eric is right. You're always gonna have the World Tour F1, you know, thoroughbred racehorse. Chad's point is is 99 of us don't need that bike. But, All right, I'm going to come back and argue that point, but I'm going to remember. We'll, we'll remember that point. Okay. I'm going to come back and argue it. And I you guys know like arguing now. I'm fired. You up. guys know way more about bikes and geometry than I do, but and you can say that I'm an idiot. But is this where okay. you're an idiot? A fl- <laughs> is this where? Okay, so, but to Chad's point, is this where a flip chip on the fork solves that problem? No. So like it can put, help. It can help. It so can you put help. a flip yes. chip in the fork when you're running the 35. So you slacken it a little bit. Your toe mm-hmm. overlap isn't as big of a deal. Then you switch it out or, you know, flip it around when you're doing your 28s or whatever. And then I don't know if uh, kind of more, I don't want to put on my tinfoil hat, but what I like about this scenario, cause I, I agreed with Chad. Like, I think this is, I've seen numerous videos and things lately about how, um, 32 was actually faster than 30, but 34 was slightly slower than 32, but still faster than 30s. And so, what um, in, in what context is that? You talking about gravel or that, road? What are you talking about here? Like, what what that road, doesn't even make a any road bike. sense. A road I bike. mean, look, look, like, but, but but I have to I have to interject on that. That is like a very unqualified statement because there's so many other things than just yes. tire width that have yes. have to do with the aerodynamics, the rim interface, all kinds of millions yes. of things. Yes. But in the, but in the okay. one that I'm I just referencing want to was that that's a stupid comment. But anyway, same exact bike, same exact wheels. All mm-hmm. they did was change the tires. Okay. Um, anyway, but so I agree with Chad. I think this is where things are going. I do think there'll always be the F1 thoroughbred racehorse bike. But what kind of like makes me giggle to myself about this is 
Um, I think we've always, and, and it's kind of confusing in the market right now, cause there always has been like the endurance bike. There's always been the aero bike and then there's been the lightweight climbing bike. So mm-hmm. then like some people, like I've read, you know, like we read a lot on escape collective and stuff, but it's like, I'm a little bit confused by like specialized, right? Like, so they're, they're doing the one bike to rule them all thing. They have the SLA and like, they've kind of like where they used to be able to sell you two bikes. Now they're just selling you one bike, which is a little confusing to me, but you know, like trying to give like the industry some credit that they're not trying to screw us over. And like, you know, everyone thinks the industry is against us, but what makes me kind of happy about this is a, I'm a huge advocate for the smaller shops and the smaller boutique brands and stuff. And you can honestly get yourself a custom tailored geometry bike that fits you perfectly to ride the style that you want to ride for cheaper than some of these bikes you can get right now. So it's kind of like, I mean, for now, for now, yeah, we'll for, see, we'll yeah. see what happens in the industry. There was a little, there was a little price like bubble that happened with this whole pandemic thing that we'll, we'll see how that, you know, you so, know. I mean, I've been in this dilemma recently. Like, I've been running my crux. I know you've been as, looking. To, you've been looking to buy a bike for seventeen years. You know? Yeah, <laughs> but I've been running my crux with my fifty-one millimeter deep arrow wheels and mm-hmm. running it as a gravel bike. And it's like this bike is really good road bike. And I, other than being dropped by Poli, I can keep up with anybody mm-hmm. that I need to keep up with. And it's like, I mean that. I mean that bike. It was not crazy expensive but it wasn't inexpensive and it's like why do i want to go buy two bikes but but listen listen let me let me interject and let me i'm going to go back to the first point you made and i'm going to argue it a little bit because i was actually thinking about this today that on my ride today i was thinking to myself that on our tuesday night fast rides i could easily i'm certain i could easily put my road wheels onto my cervello espero gravel quote unquote gravel bike. I could put my road wheels on there and my road tires, you just take the whole wheels off of my tarmac, put them on the Asparo and run it. And I would have zero problem riding in the the fast group ride. Agreed. You know, absolutely no problem. I, I mean, I could actually probably just ride with the gravel tires in the fast group ride too, because, Agreed. you know, when you're looking at the gravel <laughs> dynamic, the drafting dynamics, I'm sorry, that's fine. But at the same time, I, again, I have, I make this point. I know you guys are all talking about like whatever. I'm fast. I'm not really when you talk about like you said, like actual racers. But even in my little play races, I do the if I'm averaging, if I'm averaging a 25 mile per hour race, there's periods of that race that you are going 30 in the pack, or at the end of the race when you need to make the move, you're going in the 30 mile per hour range, and those races, believe it or not, are decided by fractions of a second okay so even in my little play races those little aerodynamic advantages make a difference so that riding the espero with my road wheels versus riding my sl7 tarmac with road wheels could make enough of a difference that could change the result or the placing in one of these races. I mean, that's a legit thing. So I know everyone says like, oh, for the vast majority of people or people that are not world tour, you don't need to be on a race bike. But I'm telling you, even in the situations that I'm in, I'm not even any, anywhere near cat one level of, you know, play racing that can make a difference. So I, I, I sort of object to the fact that people say, oh, you don't need nobody needs this bike or not very, very, very few people need this bike. We can just I agree with you for riding on the group ride, just going out and having fun great but if you're competitive at all 
there is something to having yeah if an you're aerodynamic racing, bike if you're racing for results i agree with you 100 percent. but you to admittedly we and you more than the rest of us are the niche of the niche like <laughs> i think you're giving cyclists in america too much credit like there i would like to see the percentage of cyclists in america that signed up for an event in 2023 and of those people that signed up for an event which ones of those were actually legitimately going for like a podium and it was probably like less than one percent yeah but again that doesn't mean that so so first of all that doesn't mean that a race bikes should all change to allow 35 millimeter tires so that's already that's off the board i know you're not saying that but i just want to clarify that's off the board chad always said we'd have a tarmac and a madone right I, i i agree with that but i guess what i'm saying is there is a place for these race bikes, even outside of the world tour or outside of Wout Van Aert or outside of whatever we're talking about. It doesn't mean that these, these places, these things don't exist. Now, here's the other point I want to make. I want one of you, probably Chad, because Ryan, you're admittedly saying you don't understand the geometry at the same level as Chad. I want you to tell me what makes when we say the word road bike, because like, let's admit a gra- you know, gravel bike is basically a road bike, right? But it is different enough that we can make a. You know, like pure mountain bike people, they're probably like, what's the hell is the difference between this gravel bike and a road bike? They're the same thing. It just takes wider tires. But tell me what makes a road bike a road bike. If you're really a cycling enthusiast, what is what is it about a road bike that makes it a road bike? From a, from a geometry standpoint? In general. In, yeah, but in general. in general. Typically, it's geometry, right? That's a huge portion of it, right? So you're going to look at trail for the front, mm-hmm. front end. Right. So usually... Yep. Usually it's an axle to crown ratio that's slightly bigger than a track bike because you have to accommodate the brakes. Yep. But again, why we've had, what did we at? 367 is normally the axle to crown ratio um, for a road bike. Usually you have between 40 and 45 millimeters of fork offset to hit whatever trail. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, exactly. Trek runs a 40. I think tarmacs run a 43 or a 45. Uh, mm-hmm. Smaller frame sizes even go as far as 47. Um, I'd argue the 367 is a bit antiquated now because now we've moved to disc brakes. So we might even be able to shrink that back down. But, but, anyway, but the trail is what you want. The trail is and explain why you want the trail to be what it is on a road bike. So you, this is exactly what I wanted you to say. That's what I was hoping you would right. say. Tell me why that's the case. Well, that trail is set at that because you're at a particular speed, generally taking a corner, which I, mean, right. I know you don't have that in New Lenox because everything's a grid. But up here where I live, some of the roads actually have twisties and curvies and things like that. Mm -hmm. So usually when you're descending, it's generally when you're descending down a hill at speeds of 25 to 30 plus miles an hour, you want to have stability to the bike. Now that, that depends on how you want to run the trail, but usually I think it's somewhere North of 55, but under 65 for the trail is usually the figure somewhere in there will be a road bike for adequate trail and then total wheelbase, Mm -hmm. right? So total wheelbase depending if you're a 52 or a 57 or even a 61 or whatever it is you ride, Eric, somewhere around, 58. somewhere around, what is it? Um, a thousand millimeters, right? Yeah. A little under, a little under. Yeah. We'll say, I mean, uh, it depends on what you want to get to in a frame. I mean, usually for me, right around a thousand is what I call mm-hmm. a traditional road bike. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know who was the one that started shortening. Traditionally, a road bike has stays of around 415 in the modern era. They have gone mm-hmm. to 410, I think there's even some extreme cases where they've gotten down to 408, but I think even Shimano says you go under 410 or 407. They don't advocate for that because of the front derailleur and 
yep. in the chain line, etc. But anyway, mm-hmm. so four fifteen to four ten, call it in there is usually yep. the effective chain state length. Got to right. get out your, so, get out your geometry so and do your calculation. That that's great. No, so geometry geeks will understand that. If Randy was here, he would have already left the I mean, show and, and took a nap. The vast majority but, of people on this podcast glazed over, tuned out, and left at this point. Okay, right. we're on. So let's talk quickly. I understand what you said about trail, about how for a road bike, it's you, you like it for descents. It is important, though, because what trail does is when you have a shorter trail figure, it makes the bike what we would call more responsive to steering input. Okay? And it sacrifices a little bit of pure stability when you're going around a corner, but it, 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 or in general, it gives you better steering input or you, it's lighter touch on your, you know, you can steer quicker with a lighter touch. And why that's important is because in, in a road race, you're going upwards, be, you know, even in me, my little play race, you're going upwards 25, 30 miles per hour. And the people in that you're racing with are literally touching you like you're within millimeters or even touching these people. Right. So especially when you're getting down into the final, you know, let's say the final three kilometers of the race. I mean, in the race I'm in, I was in and that silly one down in uh, Kankakee or whatever. I mean, you're, I'm literally bumping people shoulder to shoulder, like for position to get into the final stretch there. So you're riding your bike 25 to 30 miles an hour in extremely close proximity, you need the bike to be able to move without a huge steering input. That's what makes a road race bike a road race bike. And that's why that trail is important. Now, if you take, for example, a gravel bike, what's the typical trail figure on a gravel bike, Chad? I don't know. I'm going to say 62 to 65. So it's bigger. It's a little bit longer, right? The trail's a little bit longer. And what that does is it doesn't, it's not quite as responsive but it also is a little bit more stable. And gravel, what's the wheelbase on a gravel bike? Usually somewhere around 120 to 130, which is what you have for a cross bike. So it's a wide, or, it's a longer wheelbase, right? 1,020 to 1,030. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it's a little bit longer wheelbase. It's a little bit longer trail. Meaning, meaning, and, and for those of you who don't know what trail is, basically what trail is is when the, if you draw a line, basically the, the short way to explain this is from the, the, the head, you know, the top of the handlebar where it hits the headset, right, Chad? down to the hub and you extend that line to the ground yes right and then if you took another line directly straight down from the hub front hub straight down to the ground the difference between where those two lines meet is the trail right right if you had a so you had a car you would use caster and camber to effectively okay yeah that's it's kind of what you're doing and if you want to think about it in terms of the 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 trail because it's going forward but it's almost like the shopping cart effect when you have a shopping cart wheel that likes to flop around in the front yep what you're trying to do is is determine the stability of the front wheel so yep. how much how much resistance does it have to wanting to flop around in the front due to, due to your steering input back of the handle right right, right. Is what it comes so, down to so for a bike that you're going to ride off road in the mud you kind of want a little bit more stability a little yep. bit slower steering then a road bike, yep. you can get away with it. And track bikes have very, because mm-hmm. a track bike, you're almost steering it with your hips and your core muscles as opposed to your fingers on the handlebars really is what you yep. get. So these are all technical nuances, but I would argue, Eric, that any 
most of, as anyone you're racing with at the end of the day, the five of you guys that managed to get to the end of the cat 2.5 race, right? Yeah. That's um, the most boring argument ever. It, 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 <laughs> I agree no. with Ryan. Like the five of you guys all had production frames and what does it matter? Right. Right. Yeah. So my point again, is there is two people racing shoulder to shoulder and no, both, it's and not. That, there's five that's of you. a group of like 30 people. No, we're all close together. No, we're all close together. You need to steer like you have 30 people riding close proximity. You need to have fast steering. You need to have quick response time. Yes. It's but, just part of what makes a road bike a road bike. And that's why I said you're both right. Cause Chad never, Oh my ar- God. No, Chad never argued that so, these bikes shouldn't exist. He just said the this majority is my point. of people should be on this fat okay. road bike. This is my point. When you have this bike with the trail being the way it is, the way that you make sure the the way you get the trail the way it is is the head tube angle generally has to be steeper or the fork offset or whatever. You have you things to play with, but effectively for the trail to be shorter the fork can't be as far away from the down tube as if it was a quote unquote, more longer trail, more stable, like gravel bike, the fork can be out. The the hub can be out farther away from the down tube. That's my point. That's what allows you to have bigger tires in there is the clearance is not the side to side clearance. It's the front to back clearance. And at some point, if you want to put bigger and bigger and bigger, tires into a road bike you're going to have to slacken out the front in some form or fashion in order to fit them in there which is going to by by the laws of physics it's going to increase the trail which is therefore going to make your bike less responsive and it's not going to be a road bike anymore that's what i'm saying the the bike that i've been arguing this for the whole time originally had the exact same trail and wheelbase figures as the cannondale super six evo it literally had the same head tube, the same fork offset. It's the same trail. It was a and it was a forty three millimeter fork offset with a slightly <laughs> taller crown. Like that was it. Like mm-hmm. no, I I think the custom frame builders have it. If the main lines want to do it, it's just a matter of will they have enough volume drive from the sales floor to put in the time to invest in these molds. I think they can make them arrow enough. It's not. I don't care what you're doing with your Cat One crit race. Nobody's going to buy this bike for that. But. <laughs> Well, for all the rest of that... us that are buying a Tarmac SL7, this is this concept is probably the bike the market needs to move. Well, and I know this isn't forever, but like right now we have an inventory surplus and people can't sell bikes. Perhaps you would be able to sell through that inventory if those bikes served more purposes. No. No, like, no, if... no, because then you'd only need to buy one bike, not two. But... That would be the opposite no. thing. We're not gonna no. go down we're not going down that path because that inventory surplus has nothing to do with the bikes you actually need for the day. That had to do with something else. <laughs> sure. But what <laughs> I'm going saying down is there. like if if you had a bike like instead of having a like so in I guess for most well what I was gonna say is like I see myself owning a like a race oriented bike, whether it be a LA sprint disc or something. I don't because I that requires you to buy a bike. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was gonna say earlier, I bet we can get Mike Green to buy a breakaway. Why why are we getting Mike I, we've been this we're in season two and you still haven't bought a bike. Like this is this this started at the very beginning the, of season one, I believe. The, this podcast is the, much like the run of everyone loving the Cubs is going to come to an end when you finally buy the bike. That is what it's so. I thought World we series. Had, nobody likes the Cubs. You're going to buy a bike. Nobody's going to listen to our podcast. Did we did we talk about this on the podcast or in our group chat? That I thought I I had 
come up with the idea that when the time is right, we're going to give like a multiple choice question and we're going to let the fan base decide what frame or what bike I buy. Um, yeah, I think we talked about it on the on the both, but I don't think that's going to happen because even if they do that, you won't buy the bike anyway. So that's a move. Well, it doesn't I matter, have one, but I've won the test. I was right on what kind of bike we all need to move to. Eric, what, what is the next topic <laughs> for the podcast so we can wrap this thing up? All right. So the last topic we have is that there was a high profile, we'll call it, wheel tire blowout that caused a crash in the world tour. And basically we had breakaway specialist Thomas DeGent riding his bike seemingly just fine. Didn't it, this was I don't remember what race this was, but it was not a cobbled classic. It was a very smooth road. And basically his wheel fell off. I mean, his tire fell off his wheel, basically. So he crashed. And obviously, we don't know what happened. But it did not appear that there was a pothole that he hit. It did not appear that there was something that he hit on the road that would have created some sort of puncture situation. It just seems like the tire blew off the rim while he was riding it. Now, look, in the World Tour, they ride a lot of hours, a lot of miles, so you're going to see things happen that maybe don't happen every day just because the probability says if something's going to happen over the course of all this, it's going to happen. So we don't know what happened. But this is the key point of that, that the tire he was running was not according, was not compatible with his rim according to the ETRTO standards. Are we are we certain of that? Do we know that? Yes, he was running. He was running a 28 mil labeled tire. And the ETRTO has stated and he was running it on a zip. A zip um hookless 25 millimeter internal rim width wheel. I don't know if it was a 303 or whatever, but it was a it was a 25 millimeter internal and the ETRTO we talked about this on the podcast over a year ago, came out with new guidelines. Now remember the ETRTO is not a requirement of the wheel or tire manufacturers, but it was a guideline. It's a standards organization. They do more than just bikes. They do wheel and tire um, fitment standards for all types of things, cars, whatever, motorcycles, whatever. But they came out with new guidance that said for a 25 millimeter internal, the, the smallest tire you should run is a labeled 29 millimeter and he was running a 28. So we don't know for sure that that was the cause, but here you have a rider that was riding a quote unquote non-compliant tire rim combination according to the ETRTO anyway, and he did have a seemingly unexplained tire blowout. Now, that's probably not interesting to most people. Probably most people don't that are listening to this don't even know who Thomas again is, let alone anything about what, what we just talked about. But the whole point of this from a chump's perspective is that even us are sitting here somewhat arguing about is this even a valid, is this a valid tire combination or not? Because the industry is so out of whack when it comes to this tires, wheels, rim stuff that we just can't have a basic thing like this is what works. And it leads to all pe people like us arguing about it and potentially people crashing and potentially hurting themselves. It's bananas. Well, Where, where's the UCI? We're checking 
we're checking hood lever angles. Well, oh, funny enough, not... they said they're going to start checking this. So good for them. There you go, Ryan. They said they're going to start but, but cracking truly, down like, on people that are not compliant with the ETRTO yeah, standards. What does that so mean? if there are standards, safety standards, which is their argument for like this hood lever, yep. whatever. So like, I'm, I'm sorry. So you build a whole new device and you start checking hood lever angles, but you're not checking like basic. Like, I'm sorry if your wheel to your point earlier, like if your if your tire comes off your your rim and you're going 45 K an hour down a descent, like we've seen bad things happen. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's not good. That's not a good situation at all. You don't want that to happen. Let's check hood lever angles instead. Well, the other thing, too, is we don't we don't necessarily know it was a 28 C tire because I'm sorry to tell you this. The pros don't get the same tires that we always get. (laughs) <laughs> and they change. They will change the sidewall hot patch to hide it from us all the time when they're running prototypes. Zip is part of SRAM. SRAM runs what they call the black box program for pros all the time. I have no idea if these weren't a set of demo. Okay. So to say that these were not compliant, I, I don't know what these were per se, just because. Okay. From- According to the, you're right. You're right. According to the hot patch that was on there, it was a 28. You're right. They could have been fiddling with things, but crazy though why would they put a 28 hot patch on an actually 30 tire why that doesn't make any sense why would they do that tubular tires have delaminated in the same way causing the exact same yes. i, I so understand sorry. That. and again i'm not claiming that that's what happened what i'm claiming and what i'm saying and my point is that tire and rim fitment standards are a not known by a lot of people, which is crazy enough. Crazy, like for for example. So let, let me finish my thought. They're not known, and people just generally don't even believe in them. They're like, well, I, I don't even know if that's true. Like, I want to. This is the tire I want to run on this wheel. Like, let me ask you something. You take your car. Either of you take your car to the dealer or to a tire shop and say, "Hey, my tires are worn. I need new tires." And they tell you, hey, this is the tire that we think you should buy. This is what we think is a good deal for you or whatever. I would guess you either subconsciously or even consciously are expecting them to give you tires that fit on your rims according to the ETRTO standards. I would bet that that's a true statement, what I just said. Absolutely. I actually research car tires much the same as my bike tires, so do not want that to me. Chad, just (laughs) get out of here. But but my point is... I literally hunt down. That's a side tangent. We're not going to look at me in car tires, because I'll go on. We have another podcast for that. Right. But the, the point is, the tires you put on your car, they are compatible with your rim. Period. And you would expect... I bet you... You would even expect if you said, hey, I want to buy this tire and it it wasn't compatible with your rim, that the tire shop or dealer or whoever would tell you, oh, actually, that tire is not compatible with your rims. You can't get that one. I bet you would expect that. I, I can also tell you I'd be really upset if I paid for bike tires when I pay for car tires. <laughs> so, okay. We're talking, about a, we're talking about a $50 Continental bought on sale from Jensen's or wherever you go get your except, car versus the $250 on your car, right? Except, let me ask you, here's the here's the, the counterpoint to that. Have you ever had a flat tire or any kind of wheel blowout on your car 
when you're going upwards of 50, 60 miles per hour? Has that ever happened to you? Well, no. Not had a blowout, but I've had a flat tire, and Chad helped me. <laughs> pump it well, we, back we up. heard that story well, before. We're but... also talking about, we're looking at, again, let's go back to the analogy we started with with the last, the F1 of bike tires, right? We are talking about the time trialist, the world tour race tire, right? I don't run race tires on my car either. They, they only last. Oh, my God. This is my point, though. Have you had a flat tire and your tire have a problem at 50 to 60, upwards of even 70 miles per hour? Has it happened to you? Yeah, but that same analogy is have you had okay, so it happened. your car tire blow up to 130? What no, happened? Either. What happened? What happened to your car when the when, what happened to you personally when your car got a flat tire at that speed? Ryan, go ahead. Answer. You were at the expressway and you got a flat. What? Yeah, what happened? Uh, I noticed it. I slowed down and I pulled over. Okay. So when you're riding your bike, not inside a giant metal box with all kinds of safety features, when you're riding your bike... You die. Yeah, it's not a good thing if your tire falls off. So my point is, I don't care how much the tire costs. I don't care if it's F1 or not. I don't care any of that. It needs to stay on your rim. Period. Well, and I would argue that the general, like, okay, I've always argued that we're not really velo chumps. We're, we take this pretty seriously. So I think you can take this one of two ways. You can say, like, we know that perhaps that wasn't a 28 tire and there's experiment experimentation always going on at the world tour level. And like, we, like we understand that, but if you're like a general person for one, you didn't watch that race and you probably never even heard of the story, but to me, this lowers my confidence in that technology. If I'm just kind of like a weekend warrior type person. And I'm like, if I am in the market for a bike, I'm, I'm like, Oh, I just heard that story about that tubeless thing. Like, I don't want to do that. Um, so this, like for people that aren't maybe so informed of what's going on at the world tour level, like this totally shocks any sort of confidence that I had in this technology. That ribbon question, I, I think it was a, was it NFS, whatever their halo top of the line, Super speed, fast, zip, nest speed works, whatever it is. NSW, yeah. Right. What's, what is their minimum tire for that? Is it, is it actually 28 or is it actually 25? Well, I don't know what they put on their website, but if it's a 25 millimeter internal width, the ETRTO recommendation is it shouldn't be less than a 29 measured, or I mean, I'm sorry, not measured, a 29 labeled tire. So if Zip's saying it, should, it can handle a 25, then that's what they're saying. I'm just telling you that that is not, according to the standards organization, compliant. I just well, find it hard to believe that Zip invented a wheel and then it doesn't fit what I'll call probably the 80-20 rule for road tires right now, right? Most people probably run a 28 today. That's probably the de facto size. Probably, yes. Especially if you're yes. buying discs. So I find it hard to believe that Zip is selling a wheel that doesn't fit the 80-20 rule for tubeless tires in the current market. I mean, I don't know. I'm just telling you what the standard is. The standard could be what it was, but I'm telling you, Zip made the wheel. They had to go pull tires off the shelf in order to test the thing. Probably were pulling off 28C tires off the shelf. I mean, to be fair, though, the 28 thing is pretty recent. And these wheels have been around for a while. Well, the new, I would say, I would say these new hookless ones are pretty 
as new as new as the the well, phenomenon of running 28s on road. I just want to prove Eric's point a little bit. So I this was years ago, but <laughs> I, no. So I have my example, and I have a uh, the other Chad example. He recently was dealing with some stuff with one of his bikes. He wasn't quite sure compatibility, what to buy. So he was on a site. Um, I won't throw out names, but you know, he got in the little chat box with the advisors mm-hmm. or whatever they're called. They sorted them out, sent them the stuff. Um, none of it was compatible. And, <laughs> and I went through, not simil- surprising. I went through a similar situation a couple years ago. I built a bike, my, uh, my steel niner that I had when I met you guys, I built that frame up and I had all this stuff in the, you know, and I just, I was fairly certain of the compatibility, but same thing. I reached out to them. I was like, Hey, can you just verify that everything I have here is compatible. I'm pretty sure it is. And they're like, yep, great. So then I get all the stuff. I start building the bike and there was one thing that wasn't compatible. And it's like the expectation though, like to your point, you go to discount tire or whatever, mm-hmm. you you know that those tires are going to fit with your car and you would expect them to advise you otherwise if that's not the case. Mm-hmm. So like Agreed. I, I sought out help because I wanted, I was fairly certain, but not positive. And they agreed. And then it's not compatible. So if you have the quote unquote, like experts helping the novice person mm-hmm. exactly. or whatever, um, this, and I, I don't want to like fear monger and whatever and hate on the industry or whatever, but it's like, this is a I pretty do. dangerous situation. Look, if... go ahead. Do not mess around with your tires and rims. This is not something you want to have fail when you're wearing Lycra and riding at 30 miles an hour and your tire blows off your wheel. That's a tragedy. That's not something you want to play around with. Your experts, like you just said, Ryan, they need to know what works and what doesn't. And when I say it doesn't work, what I'm saying is your tire it blows will, off. What, what, what doesn't work is going to work 99.9% of the time, right? So if the ETRTO says you shouldn't run a 28 on a 25 millimeter internal rim, well, guess what? You can run it. Guess what? They do run it in the world tour. A lot of teams are running 25 millimeter internal hookless rims on zips, NVs, and whatnot. And they're running 28 millimeter tires because going back to my point around road bikes is as much as 35s are comfortable. They're not aerodynamic as 28s. It's just, just, just physics. Okay. So they're not running. Um, they're not all running thirties or 32s because they want the more aerodynamics because they're in the world tour. And they're running them on 25 millimeter internals. And guess what? It works the vast majority of the time. What I'm telling you is for the weekend warrior, like you're making the point, Chad, that doesn't need all this aerodynamic advantage and whatnot and whatnot. Well, if it happened, if it works 99.9.9999% of the time, but that's 0.0001%, it doesn't work and your tire blows off. That's you, you don't want that. But- it's not good. But to the point, it's not you good. don't know that that was the cause of this. I'm not saying it was. Law. I'm saying it could be. I'm saying it could be. I'm saying you're increasing your risk of your tire. Like if your chain line is not compatible and you have bad shifting, who cares? If you're increasing the risk that your tire is going to blow off and you're riding a bike outside in Lycra, well, that's insane. That should not be allowed to happen. The industry should have a much better handle on that. And the experts, to Ryan's point, should just be 100% bulletproof. This works. This doesn't. You shouldn't buy that. Period. At a world tour race, if he crashes and falls, he might take out some of the fellow riders and he might hurt himself. But if that's me and I'm riding 
on a road potentially with traffic and that happens, I could get hit by a car. Thank yeah. Thankfully, all the people who bought these rims spent two grand on these wheels and another two hundred dollars <laughs> on the tires that mount up to them. So I think the the amount of uh, liability for this is probably a pretty small chunk of the population, if in fact true. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest here. This is the fringe niche of buying tech, right? Hookless carbon rims are always premium. There's no. I mean, sure, rim. sure. But you remember when we had Josh Portner on the podcast, he talked about when he was developing carbon rims. I remember they this. were the only like not even pros were running them. It was like a niche of the pros were running these carbon rims. And now he said you go down the bike path in your neighborhood and everyone's on some sort of carbon rims. Well, so, I, I mean, this is not like it's something where it's only like five people in the world are running these things. Well, and not to uh, this is maybe going to portray him in a negative light. And I, I don't mean it to. But you <laughs> you specifically asked him, was there any safety considerations like being thought of through the R and D process of these hookless wheels. And he's like, no, not at all. <laughs> well, he's also not a proponent of hookless technology. So right. As but... I am not a proponent of it because I don't really fear hookless technology, but I also would argue that it offers zero benefit to the rider and only increases risk. Even if the risk increases small, it gives you no benefit. It only increases risk. So why the hell would you, why would you yeah. want it? So moral of the story, you're going to buy a fat road bike with <laughs> hooked wheels. No, I, I'm going to take that. I'm going to argue that if you're riding a 35 millimeter rim, you don't need hooked rims because hopefully you're not an idiot and you're not going to run that thing no, at 80 PSI. I don't think Chad, if Chad was building his make believe dream bike that we've been talking about, that's not going to have 35 internal diameter wheels. Am no, I right, Chad? If you're running a 35 mil tire, if your tire is 35, first of all, if you have, I, I, this is also important. A hookless rim can only be inflated. The tire can only be inflated up to 72 maximum, regardless of that, what the tire is. No, okay. that's if it's a, like a 28. It goes down. Right, if it's a 28. If you put a 35, you can only go up to like 60 on a hookless rim. But don't, However. Don't worry, it'll blow off well before you get there, so it's fine. And right. I, have no, but my point, I have no problem with hookless, by the way. My point is, if you're running a 35 mil tire, you shouldn't be going anywhere near the blow-off limit. Like, mountain bike reels are hookless, and they, they're fine. There's zero issue with the hookless. I mean, they're, you're running them at like 22 PSI, like, yeah, not a problem. But in Chad's world, Chad's dream bike that you're running a 35 mil tire on a race road bike, which is not happening, but whatever, then you don't, it doesn't matter because you're not running at a high enough pressure. Well, uh, the way I understood it was Chad was advocating for two different wheel sets. So then that solves that problem. <laughs> I just, you tires. You could run them on the same rim. I don't really care. Well, but that was like when, when this was, when we were talking about this on our group chat, th that was my biggest thing. And Eric's brought this up before is the tolerances are really slim. Yeah. That's like also you, stupid. Like, like you would think that if you were going to put this out to the masses, you would build in a, like a certain plus and minus like air ratio. Mm -hmm. You know, what is the actual creates the actual plus and minus on road Traditionally, do you know what traditionally creates the extra safety factor you're talking about for PSI on a road rim? Do any of you, do either of you know what traditionally 
I don't know where creates you're going. the safety factor. Yeah, it's when they blow off the tire and then they just add to that. That's how they. But but what what in the rim itself creates the safety factor that basically makes it where if you do overinflate it, it's not going to blow off your the hooks. Yeah, the hooks. <laughs> That's the safety factor. Exactly. They're they're not functional in terms of you don't need them to hold the tire on, but they're the fucking safety factor, and and we're gonna get rid of them. So for no good reason, for no good reason. Uh, you're just you're just gonna paranoy. Everyone who's got a set of zips now. They're all gonna be like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna die because Eric Crawley. Well, well, if you have a set of zips, the new ones that are that are hookless or TSS tubeless straight side don't inflate them very very high yeah. keep it below uh, below 70 i just like to say that dave rome and james huang sponsored this podcast no, it's uh, not. <laughs> there's a sticker on your rim that tells you what to inflate to just follow the sticker no it's a qr code it's a qr code. well well to to, to continue on the uh fear mongering the problem chad is your floor pump is not that accurate. So if you inflate it up to the limit, you're potentially going over and you're potentially creating a risk. Don't you go judge so. don't you go judging my floor pump. <laughs> it's it's not it's it not inflated my car tire, okay? He <laughs> got the Subaru back on the road. So with that, we've been on it long enough. I got other things to do. We're gonna wrap this up. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna wrap it up. We're gonna wrap it up for sure. Why why don't you wrap it up, Chad? You're very eager to wrap it up. Oh. Give us the the spiel here. All right. So if you if you enjoyed this podcast, all ten of you that are still on at this point, after we've gone on ad nauseum, please rate us, click us, whatever app you are in listening to this. Give us a rating. I vote give us any rating because at this point, all reviews are good reviews for us. Uh, click subscribe, join us, and come back next week or the week thereafter when we post yet another insightful, hopefully somewhat exciting episode of the Velo Chumps podcast. Fantastic. Good work, Chad. Genesis of season three. Maybe Ryan buys buys a bike. Uh, we, we we highly doubt it so uh, with, with that said we will see you uh next week or you'll hear us next week good talking to you guys spikes 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 hey have you even been listening to what i've been saying i've been talking to you for the last 10 minutes